This man receives uh, sinners and eats with them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, dear friends, we've uh, witnessed some of the <clears throat> most beautiful feasts of the church recently, the Feast of the Pentecost, and then the Feast of Holy Trinity, and then uh, Corpus Christi, and the Sacred Heart. Um, and I think the, the, uh, uh, the sentiment of um, all these feasts is actually very well summed up in the prayers of today's Mass. The, the sentiment that all these things point to the, the divine uh, love of God for us, the providence of God for us in every detail of our life, and uh, moreover, more specifically, the, <clears throat> the divine plan of God that he has for each one of us in our life. And this is a very very important uh, reality for us as we we try to profit from all these great feasts what is god saying to me um, uh, where is god leading me uh, in my life you know recently there was a uh, there's a financial advisor that I, I often just look at some of the clips he's very well known uh, patrick names patrick pa- david and he's a eastern right uh, staunch catholic but he's very well known more for his um, just addressing contemporary issues. And he made a very brief statement recently, I just thought it was so beautiful, um, for somebody who lives in the world, is very well known in the financial world, and he made this statement, which I think should be the sentiment of, of all of our, uh, all of us as Catholics, and he says that me, uh, as, a, as an individual, I'm, I'm prepared for the, the maker to take me any day now, uh, I live prepared for that, and I let my family know that he's in charge, and it's um, and I'm disposed for him to take me. But if God has left me on this earth, it is, as far as I'm concerned, it is for one reason and one reason only, and that is so that I may I may wage war. And what is the war? The war against the the enemies of God, and and the the war that we are waging today, and you can see it very clearly is an ideological warfare. And we are surrounded by this ideological warfare which seeks to undermine everything that we stand for as Catholics, but that ideology will distract us and lead us away from the plan that God has in store for us. And this is why this war is necessary. But we we want to help you understand... um, this reality, I just want to go back a little bit. Remember, uh, uh, the apostles, they were somewhat frightened uh, of their, uh, their master having been put to death, but still even after the resurrection, we see that they, they gained some courage, some conviction, but they're still somewhat doubtful. And we see this in St. Matthew's Gospel where <clears throat> we read that the eleven disciples went into Galilee unto the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And seeing him, they adored. But some of uh, them, the apostles, they doubted. Now, that statement is quite strange. They adored our Lord and then they doubted. Well, what, how do you adore our Lord as God, uh, believing in his divinity, and then you doubt? Well, what, what does that mean? Well, that word doubt there... He's only ever used one other place in the New Testament. And I'm going to look at that shortly. But 
how is it that they adore our Lord and they doubt? Well, well the, the gospel sort of uh, gives us the explanation, and I'm going to clarify that and apply it to us. After they doubted, the gospel says, Our Lord said unto them, All power in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore, you teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. In other words, they weren't doubt, doubting our Lord in the sense that they didn't believe in his divinity. They didn't doubt the who, and they un perfectly understood what. He asked them to teach the faith. They understood that. But they doubted the thing that you would doubt, and that is, how in the world am I supposed to accomplish this mission? It's, it's easy when our Lord is there with you, but when he's gone, how are we supposed to um, convert the savage pagan world around us? The other place in the New Testament which uses this same word as doubt is when St. Peter sees our Lord from a distance and our Lord is walking on the water and him and the other apostles are on the boat. And St. Peter, again, a very eager uh, person, but not that uh, practical, not that even though he doesn't think that straight sometimes. He sees our Lord walking on the water and he tells our Lord, uh, Lord, uh, call out that I may come and walk on the water with you. Uh, hold on, you think about what you're asking to walk on water. And the gospel says, our Lord responded to Peter, saying to him, Peter, be of good heart, it is I, fear not. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if you will bid me to come out uh, upon uh, the waters, uh, and uh, he said, come. And Peter, going down out of the boat, walked upon the water to Jesus. But seeing the wind strong, he was afraid. And when he began to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and took hold of him, and he said to him, Thou of little faith, why did you doubt? This doubt, not of denying Christ, but doubt of hesitancy, of lack of trust in our Lord. See, Peter began to sink when he began to turn his gaze away from our Lord and look at two things. First, the wind. Uh, the water, and then his own limitations. Uh, wind, water. Uh, I can't walk on water. Uh, how is this possible? Well, he turned his gaze away from our Lord. He's right. He was right. He's not possible with him to, to walk on water. With our Lord, all things are possible. But when he turned his gaze to his own limitations, he became fearful. And then he doubted who? Our Lord. He doubted not in the sense of, again, again, not in the sense of the divinity of Christ, not in the sense of the power of Christ, but trusting in Christ. Because he began to think that, me, in my, in my case, well, I can't walk on water, so how am I going to walk on water? I can't. He became fearful, afraid. Same thing. The disciples know our Lord has given them this great power, great commission. He's about to go to the Father. It's all nice, and we believe he's God. We know now he's God, the Son of God in the flesh. It's all nice. But how am I going to convert this savage, pagan, anti-God world? And that is, that is a frightful thing. Well, St. Francis of Assisi says, how do we do it? First, by, by doing what is necessary. 
then by doing what is possible. And then allowing our Lord to use us to do what is impossible. This is what we do. We do what is first necessary, then what is possible, and then by doing what is impossible. How by the power of God? And this is the great <coughs> challenge for us. I can do all things, says St. Paul, in him who strengthens me. Who? Him, God, who strengthens me. Uh, on my own, we can do nothing. Without me, our Lord says, you can do nothing. We are, we are weak. We are fragile. We are um, limited, quite limited, actually. Uh, most of us uh, will struggle, struggle to get up out of bed in the morning, let alone to do anything of any great use for God. Uh, but with God, all things are possible. Our Lord would remind them, and behold, I am with you all days, even to the end of the world. And this is part of the great mystery. Our Lord is leaving, but he's not abandoning us. He is with us. And wherever is the one person of the Trinity, is all the three. They're inseparable. And this is the role then of the Holy Ghost to assist us, to assist us into accomplishing this great mission that God has for every one of us in this life. The Holy Ghost, says Cardinal Newman, dwells in the body and soul as in a temple. The evil spirit indeed has power to possess sinners, but his indwelling is far less perfect. For he is all, uh, the Holy Ghost is all-knowing and omnipresent. He is able to search into all of our thoughts and penetrate into every motive of the heart. Therefore, he pervades us, if it may be said, as light pervades a building, so that we are said to be in him and he in us. It is plain that such an inhabitation brings the Christian into a state <clears throat> altogether new and marvellous, far above the possessions of mere gifts. <clears throat> the Holy Ghost exalts him inconceivably into the, in the scale of beings and gives him a place and an office which he had not before. In St. Peter's words, uh, he becomes a partaker of the divine nature and has a power or authority, as St. John says, to become the Son of God. His rank is new, his parentage and his service is new. He is of God and is not his own. A vessel unto honour sanctified, fitting for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. The Holy Ghost is there to prepare us. Uh, but we have, to, uh, uh, we have to be disposed, as you see in the very beautiful prayers of today's Mass, uh, crying out, Lord, I am, I am poor, I am weak. That's the first disposition. Lord, I am poor, I am weak, I need you. We need to call out. We need to acknowledge our, our limitations, our nothingness, uh, uh, and then to look to our Lord to call us. You know, one, one day there was a young man in the parish. He, he came to me. I, mean, I know he was very frustrated because he, he, my, my superior had um, rightly uh, delayed his, his wedding plans by two years. And I was very much in agreement with this. And uh, so he came to me thinking that it was my decision. And I didn't want to give him, didn't want to tell him that it wasn't my decision. I was certainly 100% uh, supportive of the decision of my superior for this young man. And he came very frustrated and he said to me, Father, I'm not sure um, what it is that you expect of me. Um, you know, I've been coming to Mass here. Why, why this decision? I said to him, what do I expect of you? Um, it's much like a football game. Uh, what do you mean? I said, well, in a football game, 
when somebody kicks the ball in the air, the other players, they don't look at the grass and how it's growing. They get up and they look after the ball and they chase after the ball to get it to the other side. And I, he said, well, what, what, what's that got to do with me? I said, it's the same thing that we expect of you, to take responsibility for your faith, maturity, um, and show, not just show up. You know, the players don't just show up on the football field. Uh, uh, just showing up to Mass doesn't mean that you're going to save your soul. Just by showing up to your wedding day doesn't mean that you're going to be uh, a good uh, spouse, a good uh, father. Uh, no. You prepare that by your life, your maturity, your uh, responsibility that you take. Uh, otherwise, that wedding day is only a preparation for disaster and not just for you, but for everyone else involved, the, the spouse, the children. Um, and, and if we can foresee that with reasonable uh, expectation from what we see in front of us now, then we would be uh, culpable before God if we allowed this marriage to take place. <clears throat> and, and let me say, this sort of, um, this sort of concern and love for, for the faithful is very rare amongst the priests. So I was very edified to see my superior uh, take this approach. Very, very rarely do you see this. Uh, because most, most, uh, uh, you know, most of the priests, we know our faith. We can foresee uh, reasonably if they're going to get married, it's going to work out or it's going to be a disaster. And if, if we see it's going to be a disaster and we say nothing or we just shrug our shoulders, well, we'll be responsible not only for the disaster that happens, but for all the consequences of that because we knew better and we, we didn't say something. And, you know, today we see so many Catholics who are really just spineless uh, apostates. And woe to us as priests or as parents if we form, we form this in our children, in our parishioners, uh, we form uh, them by babying them instead of by preparing them <clears throat> for realistic expectations. I think the danger is in seeing the evil in the world, we can too much baby our, <clears throat> our parishioners uh, or our children and not give them realistic expectations for the war, the war that they must confront. And we must prepare them to confront that war. Um, and the first grounding of that is forming them in virtue. Um, today, you know, the big lie, big lie being promoted by uh, the modernists in the modern church is, you know, just, just come to church. Uh, just um, be as you are. Uh, whatever immoral lifestyle you want to live. No. My answer is if that's your attitude, don't come to church. Don't, don't step into the church because that attitude is offensive to God. First come with the right attitude. And we don't invent the religion. Our Lord gave us the truth. And he said, teach all nations whatever I have commanded you. Not whatever you like, whatever you think, whatever you feel. What we like, what we think, what we feel actually are totally irrelevant. It is what is our Lord expecting of us. And we have a very, uh, a very real mission given to us that God will not will someone else to... To fulfill, you know, Pius XII said it so well. He said that God uh, chooses to allow <clears throat> the damnation of your neighbor rather than deprive you of the role that you have in bringing him to heaven. 
and it would be Our Lady of Fatima who would say um, very clear terms, blunt terms, that uh, many people go to hell because there's no one to pray and make sacrifice for them. No one fulfills their role in relation to the mission that they've been given to bring others into the kingdom of heaven. This is a very profound mission that each one of us have been given. But it's the Holy Ghost who's going to help us in this. And again, Cardinal Newman explains how. He says, The heavenly gift of the Spirit fixes the eye of our mind upon the divine author of our salvation. By nature, we are blind and carnal, but the Holy Ghost, by whom we are newborn, reveals to us uh, the God of mercies and bids us recognize and adore him as our Father with a true heart. He impresses on us our Heavenly Father's image, which we lost when Adam fell, and disposes us to seek his presence by the very instinct of our new nature. He gives us back a portion of that freedom in willing and doing, of uh, that uprightness and innocence in which Adam was created. He unites us to all uh, holy beings as before we had the relationship with evil. He, that is Christ, who sends the Spirit to dwell in us habitually, gave us also a form of, uh, of words to sanctify the separate acts of our minds. We begin it by using our privilege of calling upon Almighty God and express words as our Father. We proceed according to his beginning in that waiting, trusting, adoring, resigning temper, which children ought to feel looking towards him rather than thinking of ourselves, zealous for his honor rather than fearful about our safety, resting in his present help, not with eyes timorously glancing towards the future. And that, that point, that it, last point that he makes, was exactly the reason the apostles doubted. They were fearful. Why? Because, as he says, uh, they were more concerned about their own safety. Uh, they were more afraid of, well, what's going to happen if I challenge the world out there? If I tell uh, the fellow Jews that they are, are blind and they're on the road to hell and they crucified their saviour, what if I tell the, the savage that he's living uh, a, a bad life and that he needs to turn to our Lord? What are they going to do to me? Well, we know what they did to the apostles. They put them to death. Um, but the Holy Ghost gave them the conviction, the courage, the strength uh, to accomplish these things. Our Lord says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. That's a, that, those words are one of the most, the most amazing words in the Holy Testament. Our Lord saying, just as the Heavenly Father sent me, I'm the second person of the Trinity. Uh, from all eternity, I'm God, and I've been sent here. And just as I've been sent now, I'm sending you with the same mission. Well, what did our Lord come to do? To redeem, to save, to sanctify, to feed the hungry, to bring the truth and grace into the world. All that, and you're called to do this. What a terrifying and frightening thought. Now you can understand why. While they adored him, they doubted. What, terrified. How am I going to do this? How am I going to accomplish this? And if you think that's not what you are called for, then you are in the wrong place, dear friends. We are not called for a comfortable life. 
We are not called for, as the world tells you every day, to be fed and entertained. And woke the parents who've raised their children with this mentality. You are called for war. For war first with yourself, the flesh, the devil, and the world. But to be an apostle in this world. This is your mission. This is the uh, reason why you are called into this world in the year 2023. I know we live in a time where the church is in crisis. The world is in crisis. Never like never seen before in the human history. But God has has loved you so much that he said, I'm giving this privilege to live in this time for you. A time when the church is in, I think in the words of Pope Paul VI, the church is going through what we auto-demolition. You know, in the, in the human body, when a person has what they call an autoimmune disease, what happens is the body uh, uh, seems to think that uh, it, it, uh, the healthy parts of the body are its enemy. So it starts to attack itself. And it's very hard to, to find the cure for autoimmune diseases. There are, but it's not easy to find it. But our Lord has given us the cure for the autoimmune disease, the faith, the tradition, the mass, the sacraments, uh, restoring these. But we know that we are at war today, unfortunately, even with the hierarchy, uh, who are uh, destroying the church, who are almost many of them actively uh, destroying the church. And we are even at war with them. But God has given us this privilege to live in this time, to wage a war not only against the world, you know, and I think of this as St. Ambrose. He was fighting against the Arians, fighting, uh, who were members of the church at the time, fighting <coughs> against all the heretics from the outside, the emperor, the pagans, uh, all these uh, uh, false errors. And then Augustine comes along and he's even fighting against this pompous young kid who's, who's a challenge to the church, but he would bring Augustine to the faith. And Augustine would be a great mouthpiece for bringing so many to the church because of through the conviction and the grace that was brought to him by Ambrose. Ambrose, who himself was, was for the greater part of his life, a pagan. Pagan, an upright pagan for all that. But God would use him as an instrument to bring the grace and the truth uh, to the world, a hostile world. We are given a great privilege to live in our time. And we have so many great tools at our disposal in our time, whether it's the technology, whether it's medicine, uh, science, so many great things that we, we can use uh, for our disposal. And it was the church that, that brought uh, science to the world because the church that explained to the world that God who made the world is a God of order, ordinance. Therefore, uh, uh, science is possible. Therefore, it is the beginning basic foundation of common sense knowledge. It was the church that brought us all these beautiful things. And we must once more embrace this great reality with courage, with conviction. You know, <clears throat> recently... One of our parishioners in one of our chapels died, and I remember met this man. I was an old man when I met him many years ago. He died recently, and at the time, he was not well. He had had a triple bypass surgery, and he went on to outlive even his wife. He was quite healthy at the time when I met him. <clears throat> and I said to him one day, I said, you know, God has kept you this long in this world for one particular mission. He said, what's that? I said, so that you continue to pray for us. He would 
come to Mass every morning and he'd stay there for hours praying his prayers. Uh, he had a mission of prayer. Every one of us have a different mission. St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, they all had different missions. Every saint has a different mission, different oh, some uh, a mission of just great mortification, others of great silence. Others, their duty is to speak, to be a voice. St. John the Baptist, a great voice. Every saint, every person has a different mission. You all have different talents, gifts, graces. And therefore, you have a duty to use them for the purpose that you are given them, for our Lord. And you have been given a special mission in such a way that no one else can fulfill your mission. No two saints are the same. And if you don't fulfill your mission, how many people will never see the, the light of grace? You know, I often think of <clears throat> this great man, <clears throat> Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci said uh, on his deathbed, I have offended God and mankind by doing so little with my life. And, and I thought, wow, this man who, who was uh, in the 16th century was both a painter, a draftsman, an engineer, scientist, a theorist, a sculptor, an architect, and so much more. And he left behind volumes of work. And he could say this, how much more should we ter be terrified of our own betrayal by our negligence, our waste of time, our sulking, our being distracted by so many things in our life, you know? So easily we can make so many excuses. St. Thomas Aquinas explains that each of us has a duty of communicating his faith to others, either by instruct instructing them or by confirming his fellow Christians or by repressing the attacks of unbelievers. Well, St. Maximilian Kolbe, who would say, we have no right to rest as long as a single soul is enslaved to the devil. And today the whole world is, is enslaved to the passions of the devil. Uh, you know, St. Dominic Xavier, that young little boy, uh, would say one day in a conversation with his friends, in a very serious manner, explaining to them the reason why he was so zealous for souls. He would say, firstly, because my companion's soul has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. My neighbor's soul uh, was paid uh, by a heavy price by our Lord. Uh, I have a duty to bring him to our Lord. Uh, we are all brothers, and therefore we must love each other's souls. God urges us to help each other. And if uh, I am, ever seem to imagine to save one soul, by doing this, I will save my own. And in, in, on this point, he's simply referring to what the Apostle St. James says, that he must know that he who causes a sinner to be converted from the error of his ways shall save his soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. No greater way of securing our own salvation than bringing others to the path of uh, salvation. You know, last week we had this beautiful procession of uh, Corpus Christi in the town. And, and I, I wonder if you think in your head sometimes, well, what's the point of this uh, procession? What impact does it have on the town? And my answer is <clears throat> two things. One, everything and nothing. Everything and nothing. What does it mean? <clears throat> Firstly, the question is, what does it mean for you? And, and if we believe in our Lord then we are never ashamed. It's an honor to make him uh, known. 
even though they, people might find it weird, these people walking in the street, um, <clears throat> they don't know that we believe that it's in the Blessed Sacrament is God. Uh, they just might find it weird. But that's not the point. Uh, if we don't believe it, how we ever expect them to believe it? That's the first point. But the second point is summed up in an image I saw recently. Um, and the image summed up really the state of affairs. It was an image of our Lord, our Lord holding the Blessed Sacrament. But surrounded in, in front of him were all these individuals, each one of them uh, distracted with something, one with an iPhone, the iPad, this thing. This, and, and really it, it sort of reminded me of the word I often use, uh, is everyone around our Lord was in a zombified state. And, and this is the state of affairs in, in the modern world, in most families. Most people, they just go through life with no purpose. They're lost. But our Lord is still holding the Blessed Sacrament. And what's my point? My point is the challenge for us, for me and you, is to wake them up to that. To wake them up to know that our Lord is in their midst. Our Lord loves them. He's created them for a purpose, uh, to give them life. In Him is our hope. But this is our challenge, to get them to see our Lord is in their midst and who he is in their midst. Uh, and, and you know, dear friends, let's be honest about this point. Firstly, this is our mission in life, to get them to recognize and know our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet when we see a, a world that is hostile to our Lord, and it's a, it's a very interesting and I've explained this point to you before, the, the, the Western worlds have been commissioned by the enemies of our faith, Freemasonry and all those people, to import wherever they can as many infidels, as many Muslims any, into the West so that we can lose our Christian identity of nations. And that's pretty much already happened. And our government has promised another 400,000, I think, of these people into our country. Um, and, and this is a reality. Now, why I bring up this point is Islam as a religion is, is perverted. It's a, perver a perverted, disgusting religion founded by a, a pedophile and a pervert. Um, but those individuals, they have a soul. And we love those individuals. We don't love the religion. It's a wicked religion. And yet those people of that religion, like the LTG people, they're zealous for what they believe in. And I often think of the words of our Lord when I see that. Our Lord in, his, in the New Testament said, um, uh, I say to you that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah will be shown greater tolerance on the day of judgment than you will, uh, speaking to one of the towns that he visited. And, and our Lord explains why. He says, because had Sodom and Gomorrah seen and received the graces that they had received, they would have repented and Sodom and Gomorrah would still be standing to this day. And the example we see in, in the Old Testament is when Jonas goes and preaches to Nineveh. Nineveh, at the preaching of Jonas, Jonas didn't work him a miracle. He just told him, listen, if you don't repent in three days' time, God's going to obliterate you. Oh, we better repent. They repented. They changed their life. God showed them mercy. Well, imagine if we had the zeal of the LTG people and the zeal of the Muslims. They have zeal for perversion, for evil, for wickedness. Imagine, well, I don't know, I can't comprehend why we don't have the zeal when we have such 
treasure of our, and truth and abundance and grace and, and miracles in our religion uh, beyond comprehension. Uh, and yet it's like we're dead. And yet those who have a, a religion of perversion, of uh, a false, totally insane ideology, uh, totally unreal even, not even founded on anything in, in nature, not even founded on anything in common sense, and yet they are blindly zealous. And yet, where is our zeal? Uh, and what will our Lord say uh, to us? Well, he tells us in the New Testament what he will say to us, because he already said it of one particular individual. Better had he not been born. Why did our Lord say better had he not been born? Because that poor fellow, he missed the very purpose of his existence. Instead of focusing on achieving his own ideas, his own plans, uh, he should have been focused on achieving the plan that God had for him in his life. And this is a danger for us. We've got many ideas, many plans. I want to do this and, and I'm focused on that. And Yeah, but what's God's plan for you? We almost never ask this. What's God's got in store for me? What does God want of me? What is God asking of me in my life? It doesn't matter if you achieve all the things that you want and you miss the purpose of your existence. What does it profit a man if he gained the world and suffered the loss of his soul? Nothing. You missed the point. Um, you've gone through life failing at the very purpose of what life was for, for you. And this is the danger for us. So in the conclusion of today's sermon, I just want to <clears throat> give you some words from, I would say, one of the greatest men in our time who certainly fulfilled the great mission and plan that God had for him and that is Archbishop Lefebvre. And he would say to us, today we must make the resolution to act at, so as to bring about the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the grace of the Holy Ghost. It is his will that we may realize the reign of our Lord within us, within our families, within society. Let us promise our Lord to work for his kingdom. There is a small example of this in the Holy Scripture, a small example but of great significance. Mentioned during the 40 days our Lord was present with his apostles after the resurrection. What he said uh, then must have been of great importance, as you can imagine. The apostles were ready to found the church. Our Lord was leaving them in a few days. The last words of our Lord, therefore, must have been extremely important. What did our Lord speak to them about? The Reino Dei, about the kingdom of God. That is all, so simple and yet so complete. Everything is contained in these two words, and for us too. The sole thing we must love, the sole thing we should desire, is the kingdom of God. May this kingdom come within us, may it come around us on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen.